Thank you, brother. Great job as always, man. You, you do well in leading us in worship, and we so appreciate you. Take your Bibles tonight, please, and turn them with me to Luke chapter number 7. I want to preach to you from one of my favorite passages of Scripture that tells us of the power of the Lord Jesus. Very familiar passage of Scripture. I'm sure you've heard it many times, but, um, man, it's so good uh, to get into these truths of the Word of God and see how it applies to our life, and I can't wait to do that with you this evening. I want to entitle my message tonight, Four Meetings and a Funeral. There was a popular movie a few years ago called Four Weddings and a Funeral. I want to talk about four meetings at a funeral, and so we, if you will please, look with me in your copy of the Word of God, Luke chapter 7, starting in verse number 11. Watch what this says. And it came to pass the day after that he, meaning Jesus, went into a city called Nain. And many of his disciples went with him, and much people. Now when he came nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And much people of the city was with her. Look at verse 13. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and said unto her, Weep not. Aren't you thankful tonight that Jesus shows compassion to all of us? He said in verse 14, And it came and touched the bier, and they that bare him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say unto thee, Arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak, and he delivered unto him his mother. And there came a fear on all. And they glorified God, saying that a great prophet has risen up among us, and that God has visited his people. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for loving us, how good you are to us. Thank you for the truth of your word tonight and the promise that we see in it. Lord, I'm so thankful that you are the resurrection and the life. And though we be dead, we can be made alive in you. How good this is. And Lord, I just pray you make this truth real to us this evening. Show us exactly what your word is speaking to every heart and every life. God, I'm asking you that you be with me in this presentation as you have been with me in my preparation. That you'd speak to me, speak through me, Lord, work on me, work in me, and work through me for your honor and glory. And for these things, we're going to praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. There's four meetings that take place here. First of all, we see two crowds meet. We find these truths in verses 11 and 12. Now, I want to answer two questions about these two crowds. First of all, I want to answer who they were following and where they were going. Look in verse number 11. The Bible says, And it came to pass the day after that he, meaning Jesus, went into the city called Nain, and many of his disciples went with him and much people. So there was one crowd that was following Jesus. The Bible says that many of the disciples of Christ were following him into a city. Amen? The city called Nain. Now, I want you to understand something. Many times we look at the disciples in the Word of God, like James and John and Peter and Andrew and uh, all the disciples that we know followed after Jesus then, and we somehow see ourselves different than they were or uh, they are on the pages of Scripture. But I want you to know something. Anybody who's placed their faith in Jesus and has chosen to follow him have, has become a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, Brother Don, you're a disciple just like John was. 
And Brother Buster, you're a disciple just like Andrew was. And I'm a disciple just like Matthew was. And so are all of you who have trusted in Jesus. I can remember many times throughout my life as I, as I would study the Word of God and see all the amazing things that Jesus did while his disciples were following him. I always thought, man, I wish I could have been one of those disciples. I wish I could have seen all that they saw. I wish I could have seen Jesus do the works that only he could do. And then in a moment of study and quiet time in my own personal devotion time with the Lord, Lord, God revealed something to me. I can walk with Jesus daily. Can you say amen? I can talk with Jesus daily. I can see God do what only God can do in and through my life by the person, the Holy Spirit. I mean, if you've been born again into God's family, you've placed your trust in Jesus as Savior, you are now a follower of Christ. And the Bible says that Jesus lives in you in the person of God, the Holy Spirit himself. So Jesus is with you. He works on you, he works in you, and he works through you to accomplish his good will and purpose if we'll only relinquish our will to his. So there's a group that's following Jesus, and the Bible says they're heading to a city. They were following Christ, and where were they going? They were going to a city, but there's another group. Let's look at them. Another crowd that the Bible tells us in verse number 12. Watch what it says here. Now, when he came nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out the only son of his mother. She was a widow, and much people of the city was with her. So there's a crowd behind this woman. Who were they following? They were following the widow that was on her way to bury her son. Now, where were they headed? Well, they were headed to the cemetery. Now, why do I make this point? Why am I talking about the two crowds that meet? Because if, if we really look at our own life and we determine where we are with the Lord, we'll all realize we're in one of these two crowds. Every one of us. Either we are following Jesus to a city or we're not following Jesus and we're in the cemetery. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Take your Bibles, keep your place there in Luke chapter 7 and turn with me over to Hebrews chapter number 10. We sang about this just a moment ago in one of those old hymn songs that we sing. We are pilgrims in a strange land. How <laughs> do you know we just are passing through? We're on our way to a city not made by the hands of men. Hebrews chapter 10 uh, makes that extremely clear. Excuse me, Hebrews chapter number 11. We'll start with verse number 10. The Bible here is describing Abraham as an example of what, uh, of what faith is. Abraham is called the father of faith. And Abraham, this man of faith, the Bible says concerning him in Hebrews 11.10, For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Now, how many of you know, just like Abraham was looking for a city, headed to a city whose builder and maker is God, we too, as the people of faith, are looking for a city, headed to a city as we follow the Lord Jesus. And that city's builder and maker is God himself. Look at verse 13. The Bible says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Now he's talking about the men and women of faith all throughout the Old Testament who trusted in the promise of God. The Bible says they reckoned themselves pilgrims on the earth. Well, how do you know what was true for them is certainly true for us. We too are pilgrims. 
We're only passing through this world on our way to a city that's been built for the people of faith. Look at verse 14. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from which they came out, they might have opportunity of to have returned but now they desire a better country that is in heavenly wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God for he hath prepared for them a city according to Hebrews chapter number 11 and verse number 16 God himself has prepared a city for the people of faith now how many of you know everybody who has trusted in Jesus by faith and is now a disciple of the Lord following him we are following him to the heavenly city We've got a blessed hope. We've got something to look forward to. I can't wait to see what God has laid up for me. The Bible says eyes hadn't seen and ears hadn't heard the good things that God hath laid up for those who love him. But the Spirit of God reveals it unto the people of God. I am so thankful I've got a city to look forward to, a country that God is preparing for the people of faith. Now, if you've trusted in Jesus, you too are looking for that city. You too are headed for that country as you follow the Lord Jesus Christ. You're in that crowd. If you've not yet trusted in Jesus, you're not only headed to the cemetery, spiritually speaking, you're already in the cemetery. Let, let me show you what I mean. Go, go keep, again, keep your place there in Luke 7. We'll get back there in just a moment, I promise. But let me share something with you in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter number 2. And look down at verse number 1 there. He's speaking to the child of God, those who have trusted in Christ, and he tells them where they've came from. Look what he says. And he says, you hath he quickened. Now, class, let me ask you something. We've talked about this several times. You ought to know the answer. What does it mean to be quickened? To be made alive. So let's read it like that. And you hath he made alive who were once dead in trespass and sin. So he's talking to the believer. He's talking to those who have been born again by faith in Jesus. And he said, you have been quickened, but you were in past tense, you were dead in trespasses and sins. So what's he saying? Anybody who's not placed their faith in Christ, anybody who is not a disciple, a follower of the Lord Jesus, is still dead in trespasses and sin. Let me tell you what else the Bible teaches. Not only are you dead in trespasses and sin, you're spiritually dead, but it also says you're an enemy of God. The wrath of God abides on those who hadn't trusted in Jesus. Now, I'm going to tell you something. If there's one person I don't want against me, I don't want someone, his wrath pointed at me, it's the God who spoke and all of creation happened. If God can speak and the stars can come into existence, if God can speak and the sea can be separated from the dry land, if God can speak and create the, the animals that roam the earth and the birds that fly in the sky and the fish that swim in the sea, if God can do that simply by His spoken word, I don't want His wrath turned toward me. And you shouldn't either. But if you've not yet trusted in Jesus, that's the shape you find yourself in. You're an enemy of God, the Bible says. See, we're all in one of two crowds. 
You need to decide what crowd you're in. Have you trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin? Have you been born again into God's family? Are you now following Christ to the heavenly city? Or do you need to? Well, if you need to, I've got some great news for you. Jesus is ready, willing, and able to change your life tonight. The same Jesus who has changed me can and will change you. If he can do it for me, he can do it for anybody. God's grace is available to all who receive it by faith. Amen? <laughs> this gift is to be received by faith. Salvation is God's free gift to you. If you'll trust him tonight, you can have it. You can have it. You can be saved from your sin. You can become a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And let me say something else. Not only do I see the message of who they're following and where they're going, but I also see the mission. And this mission that I see here in Luke chapter 7 is our mission. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Where these two crowds meet is a mission field. You've got one crowd following Jesus, rejoicing in the power of God, because if you go back and read in Luke chapter 7, in Capernaum, where Jesus is coming from, as he's on his way to Nain, the Bible says he healed a centurion servant. He healed him just by his spoken word. And so I can just imagine all of these people rejoicing in the Lord as they're on their way in this 25-mile journey from Capernaum to name. They're, they're rejoicing with the Lord. They're rejoicing in the Lord. Can you say amen? They're having church on this journey. But then when they get to name, the whole mood changes because they find themselves right in the middle of a funeral procession. And it's in the meeting of these two crowds where the opportunity for a mission takes place. Their mission is our mission. See, anywhere, anytime you have a crowd of those who's following Jesus and they meet a crowd who, of those who are not following Jesus, that's where you find your mission field. Amen? Amen? See, tomorrow, you're, or maybe tonight, some of you will go home and you'll find yourself in a place. You may be following Jesus, but those in your home, they may not be following Jesus. And in that moment, you find your mission field. Some of us are going to go to work tomorrow. And praise God, by His grace, I've been born again and now I'm following Christ. But there's others that I work with that have not yet trusted in Jesus. They're not yet following Jesus to the heavenly city. And I've come to find out that it's at my workplace I find my mission field. The two crowds meet. Some of you are going to go to your school. Some of you are going to go to the grocery store. Some of you are going to meet people tomorrow who are not following Christ. And it's in that place that you find your mission. Amen? Don't get me wrong. I'm all about mission work wherever we can do it. If we miss that, we've missed everything. I want to preach the gospel across the street. And I want to preach the gospel around the world. And I'm so thankful God has opened up doors and, and given us opportunities to go to Cuba and make a difference with, uh, in the kingdom with the gospel of the Lord Jesus. How powerful that is. I rejoice in that. 
But I never want you to think that just because you don't go to Cuba or China or Africa or millions of miles around the world, because you don't go to these different places, I, I never want you to think that you're not on a mission field. Because everybody that comes in contact with the other crowd that's not following Christ, it's in that place you find your mission. Amen? See the message, who they're following, where they're going. See the mission. Two crowds meet here, but not only did two, excuse me, can't talk tonight, forgive me. Not only did two crowds meet, two only sons meet. Watch what the Bible says in verse number 12. Now when he came nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out, the only son of his mother. This dead man was an only son of his mother and Jesus was the only begotten of the Father. John 3.16 says that God gave his only begotten son. You say, now wait a minute, Brother Israel. You've told us many times that if we've placed our faith in Jesus, we are the sons and daughters of God. Absolutely, I say that. I rejoice in that. <laughs> Praise God for that. I've been adopted into the family of God, bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus himself. But the Bible says Jesus is the only begotten of the Father. That word begotten actually means unique. See, I'm not a son of God in the same sense that Jesus is the son of God. Are you getting what I'm saying? He's unique. He's in a class all by himself. He's the only begotten of the Father. I've been adopted in by grace through faith. And so have you. So Jesus being an only son meets the only son of this widow. Now there's a, a lot of ways that we could contrast these two only sons. One is dead and destined to live. <laughs> the other is alive and destined to die. How I mean, you know this son that is now laying in the, in the casket on his way to be buried, he's dead, but his destiny by the power of God is to become alive. <laughs> Do you think it's any accident Jesus arrived in Nain when he did? I don't believe in accidents. I believe in a sovereign God who has a plan. I believe God put the Lord Jesus, because you remember Jesus always said, I came to do the will of my Father. What my Father tells me to do, that's what I do. Why did he leave Capernaum and head toward Nain at the time when he headed there? So he could arrive right when he needed to arrive and meet this other crowd. Meet this only son. Amen. <laughs> The providence of God. No coincidence. God's working his plan right here in Luke chapter 7. So he meets this only son who is a dead but is destined to live and Jesus by his power makes it possible. You know what I love about Jesus? He never went to a funeral. He didn't mess up. Every funeral he went to he messed it up. Go and look at the story of Lazarus in John chapter number 11 you're going to find that Jesus messed up the funeral proceedings of Lazarus Lazarus had been dead four days and Jesus said Lazarus 
come forth. And guess what? The Bible says he came out of the grave and Jesus said, loose him and let him go. Cut the grave clothes off. I've given him new life. There's a story when Jesus raised up Jairus' daughter. Do you remember that? The Bible says she was dead. Jesus prayed for her, laid his hands on her. And the little girl came back to life. He never went to a funeral. He didn't mess up. Then here in Luke chapter 7, he's at the funeral of the, uh, the widow, widow's son. And he walks up right in the middle of the funeral procession and messed it all up. Nobody was going to do any burying that day. Matter of fact, Jesus messed up his own funeral. The Bible says he was laid in a borrowed tomb because he's only needed three days. And he overcame the grave. That's my Jesus. And that's your Jesus. He is the only begotten of the Father. He was destined to die even though he was alive, but he overcame death. That brings me to my next point. Two enemies met that day. Death and life. How many know that death is the final and greatest enemy that we're all going to face? I hate to break this to you, but there ain't none of us getting out of here alive. We're all going to face death. Every one of us. We're all one day going to leave this walk of life either through um, um, translation, um, when, when God comes back to receive us unto himself, or we're going to go leave this walk of life through the grave. Amen? The, the, the truth being that this flesh is not leaving this world. And so you got to be ready. With the Bible says there is an appointed time for men to die. The only problem is we don't know when that appointment's coming. So it's important that we be ready. Death is the final enemy. Let me prove it to you. 1 Corinthians chapter number 15 and verse number 26. Watch what the Bible tells us here. I love this. Verse 26 of 1 Corinthians 15 says, The last enemy that shall be destroyed is what? It's the last enemy that all of us are going to have to deal with. Look down with me, though, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 55. Look what the Bible promises. This is an amazing thing. It says, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, the strength of sin is the law. Now listen to this. But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Two enemies meet. Death is an enemy of life. And Jesus being life is the enemy of death. And the Bible says that we have victory over the grave because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. So now, for the believer, the grave has no sting. Death has no sting. The grave has no victory. Amen? For the believer, we no longer have to fear death because it's overcome by the life we have in Jesus and through Jesus. Two crowds met. Two only sons met. Two enemies met. Let me give you another one. Two sufferers met. The Bible says in Luke chapter 7, 
when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said unto her, Weep not. Now, folks, I want to tell you something. I hope and pray I never know what it's like to lose a child because I know what it's like to love a child. I've never lost one, but I've certainly loved mine. And so I can only imagine the heartbreak that this mama's going through that's lost her only son. I don't even know that I can comprehend that. I remember a long time ago now having to tell my mama that my brother had just been killed in a car wreck. And I saw her run out of my house, fall down in the yard on her face, and I'll never forget the sound she made when she was screaming. So I think I understand a little bit of what Jesus saw when he had compassion on this woman and said, weep not. I don't know about you. I'm amazed at the compassion of Jesus. The simplest and best definition I know of for compassion is love in action. And that's what Jesus shows right here. Love in action. Now think about what this mama has happened to her. She's lost her son, but she's also a widow. And this is her only son. That means she don't have a husband and she don't have any more children. In losing this one boy, she's lost her family, her companionship. Not only that, but being a widow, and in that day being a woman, she had no means whereby to take care of herself. She lost her provision also her, and also her companionship. This son that she had was taking care of his mama who didn't have a husband. And now he's gone. This woman is in a terrible shape. Jesus comes along and fixes the problem. Let me tell you why. First of all, because he loved her. He loved her, just like he loves us. Secondly, he understood her suffering. Can I tell you why? The Bible says he is acquainted with our grief. And he carries our sorrows. Isaiah 53. The Bible calls him the man of sorrows. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 16. Watch what it says about him. I love this. Very powerful scripture concerning the Lord. Hebrews 4, verse number 16. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace and help in our time of need. Now why can we find grace, mercy, and help in our time of need? Because Jesus, our high priest, knows what we're going through. 
How do I know that? We'll back up one verse to verse number 15. Watch this. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted, tried and tested, just like we are, yet without sin. What does that mean in, in Hebrews 4.15? That means Jesus went through suffering in this earth, and he knows what suffering's like. That's why he can have compassion for us and show compassion to us. He knows where we're coming from. He knows what it's like to be left alone because he was left alone. He knows what it's like for nobody to stand with him because nobody stood with him. He knows what it's like to lose loved ones because he lost loved ones. Listen to me, folks. He knows exactly what you're going through and he loves you with an unconditional, everlasting love. And just like he showed compassion to this woman in Luke chapter 7, he also shows compassion to us. It's been true for me. I've truly come to figure out when nobody else is for me, he's for me. I've truly come to find out he is the friend that sticks closer than a brother. He's my ever-present help in the time of need. He's my strength, my strong tower, my refuge, the one I run to. That's who he is to me. And believe it, whether you know it or not, that's who he is to you. Come boldly to the throne of grace so that you may find help in your time of need. He's the man of sorrow. He knows what suffering's like. Two crowds met. Two only sons met. Two enemies met. Two sufferers met. Aren't you glad for the word of God? What do you think it was like when Jesus brought this son to his mama? That's what the Bible says that after the boy was raised up. It says, then he presented this young man back to his mother. I can't imagine the joy that she felt when she saw that boy alive. You know what the scripture tells me? In 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4, that there's coming a time when the trump of God's going to sound. The Bible says the dead in Christ are going to rise first and then those that are alive and remain shall be quickly changed and we shall meet them in the air. We're going to meet him. Praise God. But we're also going to meet them. Who are the thems? Well, that's our loved ones who went on before us. As I've already told you, I've got a brother I can't wait to see again. He was my best friend. I loved him with everything in me. And I cannot wait to the day when I'll meet him and them and the Lord Jesus. And I think we'll then realize what it was like for this mama who was again reunited with her son. Amen? Let me ask you something. Do you know the Lord tonight? 
What crowd are you in? That's, that's the first question you've got to answer. Are you following Jesus? Have you been born again? Do you know that you know that you're saved? I talk to people a lot of times. They say, Lord, Pastor, I hope I make it. Folks, listen to me. I'd be afraid to walk out this building with a hope so salvation. It's not, I hope I make it. Do you know you're going to make it? Do you know in whom you've placed your trust? If you don't, why don't you nail that down tonight? The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And if God's dealing with your heart, today is the day of salvation. Don't wait. Tomorrow may be too late. You don't know when your appointment's coming. You just need to be ready. Be ready. You can get ready tonight. If you need the Lord, you come for salvation. And I'll share with you what it means to trust in Jesus. Tonight, you may be suffering. The cares of this life's got you down. Guess what? You can come boldly to the throne of grace. Find help in your time of need. Jesus knows what you're going through. Whatever you need this evening, he's able. Brother, won't you come and play for us tonight? Everybody stand up. Folks, I'm not going to draw this out this evening. If you need the Lord, you come. You'll be closing the service. Whatever you need, he's ready, willing, and able to meet that need for you. I promise you. I promise you. Whatever God's speaking to your heart, don't ignore it. Don't quench the spirit. Tonight, I want to invite you to be submissive to the will of God in your life. Whatever that is.